Amen. Thanks, Samuel. Kids, you can uh, head to Transformation Station downstairs. And um, the rest of us, if you would, turn in your Bible to, or uh, you can scroll, turn on your Bible to John 15. And uh, we're going to start with verse 18. But before we do that, as Tanner mentioned before, I'm Kevin Sanders. I'm the church planning apprentice here from Arlington, not Texas, not Virginia, but the one right over there. Um, and uh, we are planting Redeeming Grace Church, and there's a lot of ways you can keep up to date with what we're doing and, and be praying for us. I just want to mention one. Next week, a week from tonight, we're having our monthly uh, worship and prayer gathering at Covenant Church in Arlington at 6 p.m. And so we would love to have you come and pray for us for this new work, uh, for the town of Arlington, and for what God's doing in greater Boston. I mean, if you want to know more about the church plant, you can uh, visit us on the web, redeeminggrace.net, or you can talk to me afterwards, and I can fill you in on what's, what's going on there. Uh, but let's, let's read together God's Word in John chapter 15, beginning in verse 18. And we're going to read all the way into chapter 16, verse 4. This is the Word of the Lord. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me, hates my Father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. They will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you. That when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. This is the word of the Lord. I know we've prayed already, but let's pray again. Father, we thank you for your word. We are are better off having heard your word read from this stage multiple times this morning than we were before we came in here. Because you speak through your word. And so we ask now that you would prepare our hearts, that you would take your truth and apply it to us and prepare us for the opposition that we face for bearing the name of Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today is my eighth Father's Day. And um, I, there's a lot of reflections after being a, a father, especially of five. We have five little ones. 
Um, But one of the major reflections is this. Parenting is both wonderful and beautiful and, I already got an amen, I think, extremely challenging and sometimes means opposition. So it's wonderful and beautiful to see what God does in the miracle of new life. You're holding this baby in your hands. And our, our youngest son just turned one. He's walking and he's, he's you know, talking and he's extremely chubby and just, just so adorable. Wonderful things. Our, our daughters have their first dance recital next Saturday. And I would, I would miss everything in the world to see that, right? It brings joy to your heart. But there's also challenges. Diapers. Um, there's also opposition. And if, if you don't believe me, you can come to my house at bedtime. Right? Or you can come to my house on Sunday morning before church. You can see that there is a challenge. There's the challenge of this sense of this pressure and this responsibility of I am now responsible fully for another human being who cannot get a job until they're nine. No, I'm kidding. Who... <laughs> who cannot feed themselves, right? That's a, that's a huge responsibility. It's a, it's a challenge. But, but you know, the truth is, most good things in our lives also have opposition and challenge, right? You can think back to the, the career path that you wanted to take or, or the degree that you fought for. There, it was a wonderful blessing, but it was also a difficulty. But somehow there's this dangerous misconception that has crept into Christianity that Following Jesus, which is wonderful and and beautiful, means that everything will get better and there will be no challenges or opposition. That's an idea of Christianity that is put forth, I think, a lot in our day. Come to Jesus and things will get better. And Time tells and life tells us that's, that's simply not the case. And what Jesus does for us in this passage this morning is shows us by way of speaking to his disciples that if you commit to Christ, if you trust in Jesus, if you abide, here's how the world will respond to you. Opposition, rejection, and hatred. And so this, this passage is in a, a section of John that's commonly referred to as the farewell discourse. Chapters 13 to 17, Jesus' public ministry is over in large part because of the opposition that he faced and he's spending time before his death with with his disciples and he's giving them his departing words. I'm leaving, I'm about to die on the cross. Here's what you need to know. And so in last week's passage of scripture, which if you didn't listen to Pastor Tanner's message from last week about abiding, about are we connected with Christ I would encourage you to do so. Jesus is talking to his disciples about what their relationship looks like with with Christ. You're to abide. You're to remain. You're to cling to Jesus by faith. And out of that overflow, your life will bear fruit. You will be Christ-like. You will have good works. You will live daily for him. So it's primarily about our relationship with Jesus. Today, what Jesus does is he turns. And in this passage, he says, this is how If you live like that, here's how you'll relate to the world. So if you abide in Jesus, wonderful, beautiful, here's how the world will respond to you. Challenge and opposition. And really what we're saying is this. When we face opposition for our faith in Jesus, 
We respond with spirit-empowered witness. That's what Christ is putting forth for us in this passage this morning. So we're, we're answering two questions. I want to just walk us through and answer two questions that we see um, that can come out of this text. And the first one is this. How will the world respond to Christians? And that's where Jesus spends most of his time in giving the, the reasons why the world responds this way. And then, the end of chapter 15 into 16, how will Christians then in turn respond to the world? So number one, how will the world respond to Christians? Very simple. The world will respond with hatred. Verse 18, if the world hates you. And we know that that if is implying that it will, just as it hated him. So the world's going to respond to the gospel, to people who carry the gospel with opposition and hatred. Before we dig into this, we need to define some terms because there's two words here that we don't use often or we use differently. The one is the world and the other is, is hate. And so when we talk about the world, we're, we're not talking about every single individual in the world. There are places, and John loves this word and this phrase, there are places where John is referring to, to that. God loves, God so loved the world. He gave Jesus his only son. But John also uses, especially in his letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the, that phrase the world to refer to this system of man that is broken and opposed to God. So when Jesus says, if the world hates you, he's not saying that every single individual in this world will automatically respond to Christians, to Christianity, to the gospel with violent hatred. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying that there is this world that was once created in perfection, but because of sin is now broken. And that system and all who are a part of that system are at their core opposed to God. So that's what the world is, the system of mankind that is opposed to God. This other word, hate or hates, it's a strong word that I think we kind of we kind of water it down a little bit. Like I hate tomatoes on my burger. Right? We say we hate things all the time. But th- this is a strong we, we wouldn't say I hate a tomato so much so that it keeps me up at night. And my, my chief desire is to oppose the tomato, right? But that's what the word means here, to detest, to abhor, and out of this hatred, to persecute. This is a hatred that leads to action, suggesting this ongoing opposition and hatred towards somebody. Jesus says, this is how the, the world's going to respond to you. And then he goes and he gives three reasons Why? Why does the world hate Christians? And here's the first one. Because the world hates Jesus. Look at verse 18. It has hated me before it hated you. Then if you look down in verse 20, Jesus reminds his disciples what he said back in chapter 13. A servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So the idea is they, they hate you, disciples, because you are one with me. You are like me. You represent me. And they hated me. Why would they not hate you? When I speak up here, whether I'm at a restaurant or to some, a stranger, usually I just have to talk for a little while and they say, where in the South are you from? Right? And I don't think I have a Southern accent. Um, you, some of you are laughing. Right? Like, you should meet my father-in-law. But, but I don't think it's that bad. But they, they pick up on it. And what's interesting about that is I was actually born in Long Beach, California. 
I lived there for 12 years, and then I moved to Atlanta, Georgia. And what happened was, 12 years old is a real formative time. I spent 15 years there or so, 16 years, during this formative time, immersed in the culture. And what, what happened? I picked up an accent, and I'm working really hard to try and get rid of it, but I can't help it, right? I identify myself in Boston by just speaking. And so the logic is, is this, the more you abide in Christ, the more you are immersed in Christ, the more you become like Jesus, and naturally, the more you become like Jesus, the more identifiable you are to the world, the world takes notice, and our hope would be that they would welcome us with open arms. Wow, you have the good news of Jesus, but no, the world opposes Disciples, followers of Jesus, just as it opposed Christ. So Jesus says, that should tell us, don't be surprised. It shouldn't surprise us, right? They hated me. If you look back in John chapter 5, all the way, if you remember back in John chapter 5, the religious leaders and authorities who were sort of curious at first, but from that point on, they sought to kill Jesus because he made himself equal to God. They rejected him from early on. So why would they not reject his followers. Second reason is because you're no longer of the world. Verse 19, he says, you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. In last week's passage, John 15, verse 16, he says, I have chosen you out of the world. Think of it this way. Think of a a trade between rival teams, right? Yankees and Red Sox, if you will. You've got a new uniform. Let's make that the, the right trade. You're, you're on the Yankees and you're traded to the Sox, not the other way around, right? You have a, a new team. You have a new uniform. You have a new identity. And now you stand for something that your former team is opposed to. It's irreconcilable. You're no longer a part of that team. You have a new identity. So we... If we're in Christ, we're once of this world. And now, because God has chosen us, Christ has chosen us out of this world, He's given us new life, we're different. And the world opposes us. Jesus goes on to say that the world hates us because the world hates God the Father. Verse 21, He says, They don't know God, but all these things... They will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. So there was this group that was adamantly opposed to Jesus of religious men who rejected Christ and they thought they were doing God's will. But Jesus is saying, not only do they reject you, not only do they reject me, but in rejecting me, they reject God the Father. He shows their their hatred towards God by rejecting the words of Christ. Verse 22, he spoke to them and the works of Christ. Verse 24, and there's a, there's a phrase here that can be sort of challenging. If you look with me at verse 22, it says, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. Then down in verse 24, it said, if I had not done anything among them, the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have seen and hated both me and the Father. Now, this doesn't mean that if they never met Jesus, 
that they would be sinless. That's not what John is saying here. What John, what, what John is saying, or what Jesus is saying, is that he appeared to these men. God himself appeared to these men who were supposedly supposed to know God. They were supposedly supposed to be expecting the Savior, and they rejected him even though they heard him speak and they saw his mighty works. And so Jesus is saying, almost as like what he does in Luke 10, where he says, the judgment upon you, the guilt upon you, is going to be worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. An Old Testament story of, of judgment. Why? Because you have seen Jesus face to face. You have seen the miracles. You have heard him speak, and you supposedly know God, but because of your hatred of God, the Father, you reject Jesus. Verse 23, whoever hates me hates the Father also. And just so the disciples know, and so we know that this isn't a hatred that's outside of God's plan. This hasn't caught anything off guard. Jesus tells us in verse 25 that this is a part of God's plan of salvation. He says, the word, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. God's going to use this hatred towards Jesus. We'll see in the next few weeks. Even though Jesus will be nailed to a cross by his enemies and they, they think they will have victory over God in Christ and it will look like the enemy has won. But while it seems like defeat, it's actually part of God's plan to bring salvation to the world because Christ will die for the sins of mankind. Now, you, you may hear all this and you say, okay, does the world really hate Christians? Right? And again, this, this doesn't mean that every single person will be violently opposed to you the moment you declare yourself a Christian. This is why Jesus says at the end of verse 20, look at the end of verse 20, he says, if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So by God's grace, there are people who hear the good news of Jesus Christ and they respond joyfully. And they turn from their sins and they trust in Jesus. That's why if you're in here and you're a Christian, that's, that's why. But for, for the most part, there's going to be a general rejection of God from the world. And what Jesus is really telling us here is there's only two kinds of people. Or to use, to use his words in Matthew 12, 30, whoever is not with me is against me. So if you are here and by grace you're with Jesus, we shouldn't be surprised when we face opposition from the world. But if you're here, for those of you who are here and do not know Jesus, know that there is no middle ground. If you are not a follower of Christ, you're not neutral. You're a part of the system of man that is opposed to God. You're a part of the world. And the way Scripture describes you, though you may not feel like it, is that you hate God. You rebel against God. And here is the, the grace of God, that He is equipping these disciples and us to go out and extend the love of Christ to haters of God. That's what all of us once were. So we, we shouldn't be surprised when we face this opposition. Now, there, there is a, a challenge, though, in saying, okay, what does it, this look like for us in our day? 
in 2016 in our, our context. And we, we've got to be clear. We do not understand fully what true persecution is like as Christians in our context. We, we just don't. It's not, it's not persecution when somebody says happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. Right? That's not persecution. Uh, that's just, it is what it is. Right? Every one of these disciples... Except for John, who wrote this, he was banished to an island. Every, every one of them, they were brutally killed for, for following Jesus, writing and speaking about the gospel. Crucified, beheaded. And so we can't pretend to understand what that's like. There are brothers and sisters this morning around the world who are gathering in secret for fear of their lives or for fear of possession of their property or for fear of being imprisoned because they are followers of Jesus Christ. We don't know what that's like. So we don't want to trivialize. I don't want to trivialize persecution by pretending we understand what that's like. At the same time, we live in a time where Christianity is increasingly opposed. Wouldn't you agree with that? We're increasingly seen as intolerant, as, as close-minded, as old-fashioned. And, and we have to know that in every place and in every age, there is opposition to God. This should not surprise us. Nor should we expect that because of our history as a nation, that we deserve some sort of cultural recognition as followers of Jesus Christ. It's not the way it is in most of the world, and it hasn't been the way it is in most of history. But what does this opposition look like for us? Well, you may be ostracized in the workplace. As you experience the grace of God, you're abiding in Christ. You have a desire for your friends in the workplace to know about Jesus. And you start a conversation and you're mocked or you're ridiculed or you're left out. Or it may even affect your career. Your neighbor may reject you. It may put a rift in your family. And as the culture shifts and changes, there may be a day in our lifetime where being a follower of Jesus and speaking the gospel isn't just unpopular, it's illegal. That may happen. Same time, this doesn't mean we're supposed to go looking for persecution and hatred. Or that we're obnoxious and disrespectful and saying, see, we're disciples. Because people don't like us. No, you might just be obnoxious. Right? There's, a, there's, a, there's a group of Christians, I won't even, or, or professing Christians, I won't even name the name of their organization, that is known for their vulgar speech and their protests and their, their hateful signs. And they sort of wear this as a badge of honor that they're constantly sued and that they're hated. They're not hated because they're followers of Jesus. They're hated because they're obnoxious. There's no representation of the gospel in that. So that's not what we're saying. Go out and bother people and be extremely disrespectful so that you will be persecuted and you can say, look at me, I'm a disciple of Jesus. As Christians, we have to labor to make sure that the only stumbling block, the only opposition that we put in front of people is not ourselves, but the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what Christ is talking about here. Paul says in Romans 12, 18, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 
But if we're taking the gospel to those around us, if we're abiding in Christ and bearing fruit, and we have this desire for those around us to know Jesus, there will be times where it's not possible to live at peace with the people around us in this world. Jesus says, just in the, in the previous passage from last week, John 15, 16, go and bear fruit. If you never experience any opposition for Jesus, then maybe you're not as committed to Christ as you think you are. Think about that for a moment. You may be here and you may be saying, I never experienced any sort of opposition for my faith. Life's pretty well. There's really only two reasons for that. One is that you're only surrounded by Christians, which means you've neglected the mission of God. You can live a life as a Christian and not experience opposition. It's very easy. You, you get plugged into a, a church and you get plugged into your small group and those are the people you hang out with and you only eat at Chick-fil-A and you don't talk to anybody at work and you can get in this sort of Christian bubble, right? And never, and you're like, this is pretty good. This is comfortable. I'm not facing any opposition. Well, that's because you've neglected the mission of God, what does Jesus say? John 15, 16. He doesn't say bear fruit. He says go and bear fruit before a watching world. So if you're not experiencing any opposition and you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, you've either neglected the mission, you're only surrounded by Christians, or you're not actually committed to Christ and you've neglected the pursuit of Christ's likeness. And you're around non-Christians all the time. You're around the world all the time, but you look no different from the world, so why would they oppose you? But if we're living in Christ, bearing fruit before the world around us, we will be opposed. So, so how will we respond? How should we respond to this? Should we retaliate? That's what, that's what Peter does. We'll get to that in a few weeks. In chapter 18... Um, Jesus is arrested, and Peter decides, you know what, I'm going to fix this. And so he pulls out his sword, and he cuts off a guy's ear. Right? That's Peter for you, if you remember interactions with him throughout John. Jesus tells him to put his sword away. Jesus does his Jesus thing, puts the ear back on. Why? Because that's not the battle that we fight as Christians. It's not a worldly battle. We don't respond to persecution with physical retaliation. Why? Because we're no longer of this world. Our battle's not with this world. Should we retreat? Wouldn't that be a lot easier to just start like a Redemption Hill monastery? Right? We never have to interact with the world. Therefore, we never have to have any sort of opposition or have any sort of problems. Well, there's so many things wrong with that because guess what? We're all sinners too. But we don't retreat because as we'll hear Jesus pray in John 17 in a few weeks, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. As you have sent me into the world, Jesus says, so I have sent them into the world. So retreating is not an option because even though we're not of this world, we have been sent into this world on a mission. Should we be surprised by opposition and persecution? No, don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you, 1 John 3.13. Don't be surprised. Nor should we take it personally, as we've just seen. The opposition to us as followers of Jesus 
is not in opposition to us personally. It's in opposition to Christ himself. This is why Saul, who was traveling to persecute Christians on the road to Damascus, when he's knocked off his horse and Jesus appears before him, Jesus says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You don't take it personally. Not opposed to us personally, they're opposed to God and to Christ. So how do we respond? We respond with spirit-empowered witness. This is what Jesus tells us after what could seem like a sort of stark conversation. Not very encouraging, but Jesus says, but, verse 26, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you will also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. So Jesus is saying, listen, if you abide in me and you bear fruit before this watching world, you will be opposed. You will be hated. Because they hated me, because you're no longer of this world, because they hate God the Father. But here's not what Jesus says. He doesn't say, so I'm going to rescue you from that. He says, no, no, no. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you my spirit, the helper, the Holy Spirit. So that in the midst of that opposition, the Spirit bears witness, and you too, in the power of the Holy Spirit, bears witness. So even as you're being opposed... Those who hate me will still hear my good news. Listen, what a testimony to God's love for people who hate him. If you're here and you're not a Christian, hear that. God is not looking at you, unbeliever, and saying, you hate me, I'm going to hate you back. He's not saying, you hate me, I'm done with you He's saying, you hate me, but in my love for you, I'm going to pursue you. And I'm going to put around you. And you're going to see people who suffer well for the name of Jesus so that you can know my love. And listen, please do not skip over that. Shrug your shoulders. That is God's love for you. His desire for his disciples who did this, they died for the gospel, was that as they were dying, they would bear witness to Christ. This is just what Jesus did. We'll see it at the end of John. As he's being murdered by his enemies, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. What a, what a testimony to the love of God for people who hate him. He's going to continue to pursue, even as they're opposing his people. And that's what we're called to do as well. We'll tell of Jesus. You say, what do I do when that neighbor cuts off that relationship because we had a conversation about Jesus? You pray for that neighbor, you love that neighbor, and you continue to look for ways to lovingly bear witness to Jesus because that's why we're still here. This is also an encouragement to us. Even in just natural evangelism, opposition or no opposition, saying in those moments, you will have the power of the Holy Spirit. The concern is not that you would have this perfect line that will sort of sink them in with the gospel, but that you have the power of Christ to boldly proclaim Jesus, even when it's difficult. 
And, and a, a great example of this is Peter. Jesus called him Satan one time. When Peter says, there's no way you're going to the cross. He thought he was saying something good. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You don't know what you're talking about. He cuts off a guy's ear. Jesus says, no, that's, that's not what this is about. He denies Jesus three times out of cowardice. You think, man, this guy's a mess. And then something happens in the book of Acts, chapter 2. And after that, Peter preaches the first sermon of the church, complete and total boldness. And you say, well, what happened to Peter? Did he go to seminary? Did he take a church planning apprenticeship? No, what happened to Peter? The Holy Spirit happened to Peter. That's the only explanation. And the same is true for us. We have the power of the Spirit to be emboldened to proclaim the gospel in the face of opposition. And that's just what these saints did. And Jesus gives us, in chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, he gives us this promise. Look at just verse 1. He says, I've said these things to keep you from falling away. He's saying, my words are going to keep you, but also there's this warning, just so you're not caught off guard, just so when this happens, not if this happens, but when this happens, that you won't be surprised, you'll remember this, you'll suffer well, and you'll bear witness in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what these disciples did. Now, there's a key question that comes from this. What would lead someone to devote their lives to something that promises so much opposition. You may hear this and think, man, this sounds like a terrible sales pitch for Christianity, right? The other one sounds better. Come to Jesus, everything gets better. What we're saying is, hey, come to Jesus and the world will hate you. You'll be opposed. You'll look like a fool. I think the story and some words from a missionary named Jim Elliott are extremely helpful here. Maybe you've, you've heard this story before, but in 1956, a missionary named Jim Elliott and four others were speared to death on the banks of a river in Ecuador as they were trying to reach the Haurani people, an unreached people group. They were there to bring them the gospel, and they were speared to death. They had a gun, and they said, we'll use this for warning shots, we'll use this to scare, we'll use this for whatever. We will not kill one of the Haurani because they don't have the gospel. And so these, Jim Elliot and these four other men died. Though they could have protected themselves, they died taking the gospel to those who oppose them. The story doesn't end there. His wife Elizabeth Elliot and other family members, wives, baby sons, went back to that tribe in Ecuador, brought the gospel to them again, and today, that tribe worships Jesus. And Jim Elliot said this. He said this years before this happened to him. Probably no idea what was coming. He wrote this in one of his journals. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So for Jim Elliot, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep for him. That was his life. For you, it might be your reputation. It might be being liked. Who knows? It may be your physical life. He was willing to give that up for the gain of knowing Christ and so others would know him. 
And that's what Christ calls us to. Listen, the world will call us foolish, will be ridiculed, and will be mocked. But because Jesus is worth it, we endure the opposition. Because Jesus has prepared and promised to keep us when we're hated, we're not surprised when the world rejects Christ. And because the world needs to know the gospel, because your neighbor needs to know the gospel, because your coworker and your family member needs to know the gospel, when we face opposition, our faith in Jesus, for our faith in Jesus, we respond with spirit-empowered witness. That's what Christ has called us to, and he's empowered us to do it. Let's pray together.